else has them. I'm the only one that doesn't. They all have Jordans, and I'm stuck wearing Payless shoe source. They get the swoosh, but I get the swish. Mom, I just have to have it. Maybe, maybe the store experience was different from you. Maybe you remember sitting in that, that grocery cart at the grocery store, right? And you get to the checkout stand, and of course we know that the stores do a dirty trick, right? They put all those things within reach of the children, right? As parents, we understand that differently, right? But there it was. It was eye level. It was almost in reach. You, there was that candy that you wanted just so bad that you were willing to throw that temper tantrum just to get it and to get it now. Amen? I heard Sister Wilson think about that right there. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that candy, one of those candies that I loved was called Now and Later, right? You remember those candies, right? They were, they were sweet. They were juicy. They were the right bit of hard and the right bit of chewy. Now and Later. Now, I'm telling you, I can still picture the label on the pack. You know what it said? It said, eat some now and save some for later. See, you know what I'm talking about, right? But for me, it was different. It was eat some now, eat some more now, and there ain't nothing left for later. But I'm here to tell you that if your mom was anything like mine, most of the time I'm going I'm to presume her, her response was about the same it was to me. She would say, no. she say, not now. You can wait. It won't kill you, right? I think the one I hated the most was, you know, good things come to those who wait, right? Now, who knows exactly why she told us that? Maybe it was because it wasn't good for us. Maybe it was her way of protecting us from things that we couldn't see, things that we couldn't understand. Maybe she was just trying to teach us how not to become materialistic. Maybe she was just trying to teach us how to uh, stand out instead of fitting in. I don't know exactly what my mom's thoughts and ideas were, but, you know, it could have been that it simply wasn't in the family budget, but she was just too embarrassed to tell us that. We don't understand the reasons of our parents, and sometimes we don't understand the reasons of God. But I wonder if maybe my mom was just trying to teach us that We always can't be like the rest of the world. Because what the world wants and and what the world has isn't always the best for us. Maybe, just maybe, the lesson that she had was that in waiting for later, that the benefit, that the reward, that the enjoyment and satisfaction of later is always better than the self-gratification of now. My brothers and my sisters, as children of the Most High God, these words that Jesus spoke here in Luke are just the same. Jesus is teaching the disciples that the differences, there are differences between now and later. Jesus is teaching his disciples that, 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 um, that how you live your life now will impact how your life is experienced later, Right? As this generation of his children and disciples, he is teaching us the same thing today. While the things of now are different than the things of later, you simply can't experience one without the other. Amen. So shall we dig in? All right. As we open up today's text, verse 17 says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea 
and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. So family, if we're going to be good students of the word, if we're going to be good detectives in trying to understand what the Holy Scriptures are saying to us, we have to pause and ask ourselves just a couple of questions here. And the questions I wrote down, I wrote down two. It says, where did he come down from? And number two was, who was the them that came with him? Now the good thing is, is we don't have to guess what they are because Dr. Luke tells us exactly those things. If we back up to verses 12 through 16, we're told that Jesus had gotten away to the mountain to pray. It says that he prayed all night long. And then when night turned to day, Jesus called his disciples to himself up onto that mountain. And from those disciples, because of his mountaintop experience with God that night, Jesus chose to, amongst those disciples 12 men to be called apostles. These are 12 men that he personally chose for a separate task. He chose them for a separate responsibility, for a separate purpose. And and before I I get too far, I want to remind you that Jesus is doing the same thing today. He is calling men out of this world to preach and proclaim his word. He is calling men from the disciples to be set apart and be different than the rest. Now, I don't want you to get this wrong. He didn't call us to be apostles. There was only 12 apostles, but we're called to preach his word. All I'm trying to do here is to paint the picture of the background, amen? What I'm trying to say is that what I'm trying to draw out of these verses is I want you to understand that we uh, have a purpose, and if we want to make an impact for God in this world, you've got to spend some time with God in prayer. It is only in prayer that we really get to know what God wants to tell us and what he wants for our lives. You've got to get away from the clutter of life, the the distractions and the issues that surround you because Jesus did. What surrounded Jesus? Well, the scriptures tell us the multitudes, the disciples, the sick, the demon possessed, the world surrounded Christ. They all wanted a piece of Jesus. They wanted something from him. And you know what? He gave it to them. In, in verse 17, Luke tells us that the crowd of people, that was the disciples, that was the apostles, that was the people from Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, and Sidon. They all came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And I'm here to tell you that back then, Jesus didn't disappoint. He healed their diseases. He cast out the unclean spirits. They were all healed because of the power that came out from him. And they were all healed. And after they were healed, the Bible says in verse 20 that he began to teach. And what did he teach? Well, I'm going to tell you, in most of our Bibles, there's a subtitle here, right? Verse 20, right before verse 20. Go ahead. Your Bible should be open. Look at it. What does it say? It says, the Beatitudes, right? Now, you know what the Beatitudes are, right? Raise your hand if you know what a Beatitude is. Okay, now put your hand down if you think it's those four guys from England in the 60s. Okay. A beatitude is a blessing. 
Now, this word is not actually found in Scripture, but it is a blessing. It describes the blessing that Christ pronounced to the apostles and the disciples that were following him. Beatitude comes from the Latin word beatitudo, and my Bible dictionary tells me that it means that it's a condition or a statement of blessedness or happiness. So beatitudes typically consist of two phrases. First is a a statement of condition followed by a statement of the result. So you have a statement of the condition and a statement of the result. Now, I'm here to tell you that Beatitudes are not only found in the New Testament, only because the subtitle says it. If you go back to the Old Testament, you won't see the Beatitudes anywhere in there. But if you look in the book of Psalms, you'll find most of the Beatitudes there. In fact, Psalms starts out with a blessing. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Do you see the condition? Do you see the result? Beatitudes. Blessings. So as we continue to dig, as we continue to discover who exactly is Jesus pronouncing these blessings upon, Who is he teaching and who is he preaching to? We know that there was still a multitude there. But Christ directed his teachings to just one part of the crowd. Verse 20 says, Then he lifted his eyes towards his disciples. And he said, right? So family, in the midst of the multitudes, Jesus was talking to his followers. Now, does this mean that his words didn't have any impact on the rest of those that were there? Absolutely not. I'm sure that it did, but I believe that it had a much bigger impact on the disciples it was being directed to. Amen? So let's get into it. The first blessing. Jesus said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Can you imagine that? Jesus is looking at the disciples. He's called them out of the multitudes. He's called 12 of them out of the the group of disciples to be apostles. And he says, blessed are you poor. Now here I believe Jesus is trying to to teach these disciples about the cost of being one of his followers. He's trying to show them that while many of them have followed him for what they can get from him, Because believe me, some of those disciples only were there because he healed them, because he fed them, because he released them from their demons. But he was trying to show them that that more than what he can do for them, that if you were to follow Jesus, you would be considered blessed because you would be poor now. Now remember what I told you about a beatitude, right? It was a statement of a condition and then a statement of the result. So what was the condition of the blessed here, right? It says they were poor. Now, what did it say was the result? It said that the kingdom of God would be theirs. So does this mean that Jesus was telling them in order to be a follower, in order to be a disciple, that you had to be poor? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's merely trying to convey the message that being one of his disciples will cost you something. We have to lose some of our self if we're going to follow Jesus. 
We have to let go of the things of this world that we cling to so tightly now if we want to receive the kingdom of God later. I'm talking about earthly living with a kingdom focus. Now, this is something Jesus has taught about all along. We see it in Scripture. If you look back at Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, there's a story about the rich young ruler. And this rich young man came to Jesus, and he wanted to find out what he could do to receive eternal life. And Jesus responded by telling him to keep the commandments. And I think this man had a perplexed look on his, his face. He said, keep the commandments? He says, well i got to dig a little deeper. He says, what do you mean, Jesus? He says, which ones? I think he was looking for a loophole right there, right? Isn't that what we do when we live our lives and we try to follow Christ? He says, be poor, but we say, ah, do we really need to be poor? I'm trying to find a way out. God, you said you want to bless me, but you said to be poor. So Jesus replied to this rich young man. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking about the commandments, right? The young man said to him, all of these I have kept, but what do I still lack? And then verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor, right? And you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. Verse 22 tells us the result, right? The result was the, when the man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And this young man had happened to him what I believe happens to us many times today. We let our possessions get in the way of our eternal life. I'm just trying to say that there is blessing in the poorness, right? Because our reward is coming. Our focus on treasures should be focused on the later and not on the now. Now, if I'm here to tell the truth, most of us have more than we could ever need. Right? We have houses full of stuff that we never use, we never look at, we don't care about. Some of us have so many things that we rent another place to put our possessions in just in case we might need them a little bit later. And I'm here to tell you that in that case, they're really not our possessions. We are their possessions because they own us. They hold us back. They keep us from doing the kingdom work because we're more worried about losing them and we're more focused about holding on to them. When we have that kind of mindset, we'll never be able to understand what God has in store for us is so much better than anything we could have on this earth. If we are poor for his cause now, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven, up in the kingdom of God. Amen? If we call ourselves Christ's disciples, then we need to emulate him in each and every way. Do you remember when Je what Jesus told the other one that called and said, I want to follow you? Matthew chapter 8, verse 20 says, Jesus looked at him and said, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But what? The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was poor. There's one more, and then I'll move on. Matthew chapter 16, verses 20 through, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples. What did he tell them? He said, if anyone would come after me, what? 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and then follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is saying, blessed are you who is poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Family, we have to be focused on what we do while we are here on this earth instead of being focused on what we have. What we have here will pass away. It won't last. It's, it's corruptible. But the kingdom of God is so much more than we can ever imagine or desire. Streets are paved with gold. The gates are made with pearls. We've got walls and foundations built with precious gems. They're incorruptible. They're incomparable. And that's what awaits us later if we're poor now. Second blessing, verse 21. He said, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. My brothers, my sisters, once again, when we look at these blessings and we look at them with our earthly eyes and we hear them with our earthly ears, we shake our heads in disbelief. If we want to be filled later, we have to be hungry now. Does that make any sense? I I know that Jesus told us to deny ourselves, but... Do we really need to deny ourselves so much that we're hungry? The answer is yes. And I know someone out there saying, yes. And I say, yes. Let me remind you that if we are going to call ourselves disciples of Christ, if we are going to identify with Jesus Christ, the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world, then we need to take our cues for how to live our lives from him. We need to use his life as an example. The Bible tells us that in the desert after being baptized, Jesus fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. And I'm willing to bet that he was hungry then, right? Now, in fact, I know he was hungry. Because he was hungry because the devil tempted him with that hunger, amen? But Jesus, when he says here, blessed are those who hunger, he is not talking about that physical hunger. He's talking about a spiritual hunger. He's talking about a hunger for those that are lost. He's talking about a hunger for those who are oppressed. He's talking about a hunger for those who are persecuted. Family, we should have a hunger now in order for us to be filled at the table of the Lord later. If the Lord really indeed is our shepherd, we know that he has indeed prepared a table for us. What? In the presence of our enemies, right? So why are we so hesitant to hunger now? Why are we so afraid to hunger now? Why are we so caught up with filling ourselves now? You know that hunger and thirst go hand in hand, right? Now, the Beatitudes, the blessings that Matthew recorded on a, on a separate sermon, that was the Sermon of the Mount, right? He says that, This one here, he says, blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are hungering and thirsting for the things of God and the things that Jesus denied himself in order that we might be saved. 
Jesus denied himself his deity. He denied himself his righteousness when he came down from heaven, when he took on the appearance and the form of a man so that we may be saved. So like Jesus, we need to hunger now so that we would be filled one day later. I'll tell you, when we cross over to glory, the Bible says we will be filled. We will hunger no more. The third blessing as I'm moving along and pressing my point here. The third blessing said, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Now, I know I keep pressing the point. I know I keep saying that if we are Christ's disciples, we need to act like Christ. We need to live like Christ. We need to think like Christ. We need to be moved with the condition of the world just like Christ was. And you know the shortest verse of the Bible? Any of my Bible students here know? was John 11.35, right? What did it say? Jesus wept. You're ahead of me. You're already there. Amen? Now, I'm here to tell you that Jesus didn't weep just because his friend Lazarus had died. We know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after this, so we know he wasn't weeping for a loss of his friend. We know that the Bible tells us that the word came to Jesus about Lazarus' condition days before his death, and he could have healed him. He could have healed him right then and there. He could have healed him remotely. He could have dropped all that he was doing and rushed to his bedside, but Jesus didn't do that. He came four days after Lazarus has died, and the Bible says that he wept. Now, again, he didn't weep because of Lazarus' death. He wept because of the condition of their hearts. He wept because Mary and Martha declared that they had believed that if he had just come, when they had bid for him to come, if he had just come when he sent word, when they sent word, that they wouldn't have to experience the grief, that they wouldn't have to experience the loss of their brother. He wept because they confessed that they believed that he was one that had power over death itself. Yet they still believed that he wasn't there for them. They confessed that they believed that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who came into the world, yet they didn't believe that he cared and loved them enough to be there for them in the time of their need. Beloved, I want to remind you that Jesus is always with us. He is ever-present. He is everywhere, and he is everywhere at all times. Amen. And because of the condition of their heart, because of what they thought, Jesus wept. He wept for the condition of their hearts. He wept for the conditions of the world. He wept for our unbelief. He wept for our confusion. And all at once, he wept for the lost, the deceived, and the hurting. Family, he wept for us all. So the word says, blessed are you who weep. For you who weep now. Jesus is telling us that our hearts should break because of the condition of man. We should weep because sin has run rampant in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. We should weep for the one who has been snared by the wiles of the devil. I'm here to tell you that it is a holy weeping to weep for the lost. It is a holy weeping to weep over injustices. It is a holy weeping to weep for the downtrodden, for those who are hurting, to weep for the poor. To weep for those who are caught up in the strangleholds of addiction. 
to weep now. But I'm here to tell you that those of us who know his presence, those of us who know his promise, those of us who know his peace, we are comforted when we weep. Why? Because the Bible tells us that while weeping may endure for the nighttime, that joy, joy comes in the morning. Now, I think with this beatitude, with this blessing, Jesus is kind of bringing together the Old Testament into the New Testament. He's trying to to bring to the disciples the teaching of the Holy Scripture that they knew, that they understood, because they didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written then, right? So in the Old Testament, he's bringing it together. And, And if you've been around New Beginnings for more than a minute or two, You've heard us throw around this word called what? Hermeneutics, right? And we talk about how the Old Testament points to the New Testament and how the New Testament confirms the Old Testament, right? Well, in the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha, who was sometimes referred to as a type of Christ, he was said to have wept when Hazel asked him to prophesy about the healing and the sickness of his master. We have to look back to 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. And Elisha said to him, Go to him and say, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And then he fixed his gaze and he stared at him. This is the prophet Elisha. He's staring at Hazel. He stared at him until he was embarrassed. And then it says, The man of God wept. And Hazel said, Why does my Lord weep? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with the sword. And you will dash in pieces their little ones. And you will rip apart their pregnant women. This is the type of weeping that we need to be doing. We need to weep because of the evil that will come at the hands of man to other men. We need to weep because of pastors like Saeed Zaidi who is still in prison in Iran because he professes faith in Jesus Christ. We need to weep when babies are systematically killed in the womb. We need to weep for those who proclaim love is love and it's okay for another man to marry one man. We need to weep for those that think that God made a mistake when he created them. You know, I should have been a woman. But God gave me these extra parts. These are the people that we need to weep for now. But when we weep, family, I want to remind you that we can't weep from a position of defeat. Because again, Jesus said, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. You might weep now, but you will laugh later. When you come into the presence of God, all weeping will cease because you will enter into a perpetual state of rejoice. We will laugh. Now, I looked it up, and and Strong's exhaustive concordance defines our laughter here as being a sign of joy or satisfaction. Can you imagine the satisfaction that we'll have in the presence of the Lord? No more weeping, no more crying, no more death, no more despair. We will laugh because there will be joy and satisfaction. We may weep now, but we will be satisfied later. If we continue to keep our focus on earthly living with a kingdom focus. 
family, I'm, I'm halfway there. I'm more than halfway there. I'm almost there. The fourth blessing. And Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and cast you, your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. That's right. Jesus said it. He told the disciples that they would be hated. He said that they would be shunned and excluded. They would be talked about and they would be called things that they certainly weren't. All because they were called followers of Christ. The disciples went through it. They were called sinners. We know that some had held some positions of high authority, and because they came to the Lord, they were rejected. They weren't welcome in the places that they once used to frequent, and they would become for poor for Christ's sake. They would hunger for, for Jesus. They would experience weeping, but they would be hated, and they would be excluded and reviled, all because of their relationship with the Son of Man. Can you imagine that? Again, I take myself and I think if I was one of those disciples, one of those apostles sitting there, I don't know if I could believe those words that were coming from his mouth. Right? I've watched him heal the sick. I've watched him to, to, to give voice to the mute. I've watched him to open up the ears of the deaf. I've watched him give uh, the lame to walk. I've watched him unclean spirits cast out. I've watched demons rebuked. How could someone hate me because I'm with this Jesus? He's done all these great things, but yet they're going to hate me? How can that be? I tell you, they were there. They saw it happen. They were there when the Pharisees threw shade toward Jesus just because he ate with the sinners. Right? They were there when the Pharisees got mad because they plucked the corn off the stalks just because it was the Sabbath. But they became hated, excluded, and reviled just because of their walk with the Lord. Surely, these that would do this would have no idea of who Jesus really was. And I'm here to tell you, the Pharisees really didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know who he was at that time. They rejected him as the Messiah. They didn't see him any more than a threat to their power and their authority. And I'm here to tell you today, as disciples of Christ, as followers of the one true and living God, we will be hated, we will be reviled, we will be excluded. They will talk about us because we go against the way of the world. We speak against the things that the world says is okay because we put our foundation in the Word of God. Because we stand firm because of what Jesus has said, we will be mocked. Because we take the things and the promises of God as being holy and we hold them up, we're going to be reviled. Like these disciples, we're seeing things happen. We might not have been at that Matthew party when they wondered, how could he eat with sinners? We might have been there in that field when they were so hungry that he said, pluck those ears of corn off of those stalks and feed yourself now. But those kind of things are happening now. God's plan for marriage is being mocked. The promise that God made to us in the rainbow is being used for something that's not godly. People do charity in his name. 
People heal the sick of, of their afflictions. But, but, but when we do this, when we do these things in the name of Jesus Christ, people see us as doing them selfishly, right? And we're doing them to make ourselves look good instead of recognizing that we're doing it because we're following in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior. All of these things are being mocked. They're being hated. They're being spit upon. They're being made fun of and despised. And, and, and so to those that are doing these kind of things today, that are being hated and reviled and mocked and spit upon, I say to you, rejoice. Because Jesus said that you are blessed. So what does that mean for, for me today? Let me see if I can wrap this up. Let me remind you that Jesus is talking to and he's talking about those he considers being blessed. He's talking to those who are poor now. He's talking to those who hunger now. He's talking to those who weep now. To those who are hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected now. Those that are here on this earth today now. But this isn't any old person Jesus is talking about. No. He's talking about the child of God. He's talking about the Christian. Right? And you may say, well, gee, thanks, Reverend. (laughs) Thanks for the encouragement. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm I'm a disciple. And this is what I can expect in my life? This is what lies ahead of me when I make a decision for Jesus Christ to follow in his journey? Yes! My brothers and my sisters, yes, that's right. This will be part of our Christian walk. We will have to choose to be poor. We will have to choose to hunger. We will have to choose to weep. We will have to choose to stand out and be hated because of what we believe and who we believe in. But let me encourage you. We shouldn't be afraid or we shouldn't be shocked because Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, what? Then you should deny yourself Pick up your cross and follow me. So be poor now. Because if you do it right, you will store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Be poor now, for your earthly riches won't do you any good on the other side. Use them now so that you can help others to rejoice later. Family, weep now. For when you weep now for the condition of the world, it should press you into action. It should press you to serve. It should press you to love more. It should press you to share more. It should cause your desire and heart for the lost to increase. You weep because you know where they are, where they are now and where they will be going without a relationship with Jesus. You weep because you see how they've been deceived And you weep because of their now condition. And family, when your weeping has moved you into action, one day in the presence of our Father, in the presence of the saints of old, and those that you have wept over, that one day you will rejoice. You will laugh. You will laugh that you made it over. You will laugh because the devil has been defeated. He tried, but you won. You will laugh. So persevere, my brother. Stay strong, my sister. These things will happen because the Son of Man, 
because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If I want to illustrate the point even farther, ISIS is not beheading the Buddhists. Jehovah's Witnesses aren't being mocked because of their stance on gay marriage. Jewish temples haven't, been, haven't welcomed strangers into their inner sanctuary only to be, 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 be hit with a barrage of bullets, right? Now, now, some call this hatred. Some call this racism. But I'm here to tell you that God calls it sin. It's because of sin that we are in a spiritual war. And in a war, people are hated, people are excluded, people are reviled, and people are talked evil about. But to those... But to those who identify with the Son of Man, Christ said, Blessed are you. I know I've gone long. But as I push my way to my clothes, my brothers and my sisters, I want to tell you that we should see all of these things as being a badge of honor to represent the king. Long live the king, right? We should consider it a badge of honor to represent our king in these ways. If it was good enough for Jesus, then it should be good enough for us. I want to remind you that the Beatitudes, these blessings come with the promise. We aren't left poor. We won't hunger forever. Our tears will dry and our rejection does have an end. Look again. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Our reward is in heaven, and not only is it in heaven, the Bible proclaims that it will be great in heaven, greater than we have now. But more, uh, so, so what does that mean, right? I talked about the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the foundation of the jewels. But more than all of those things, the most important thing is we will be in the presence of Yahweh himself. We will be there with the owner and the creator of all things. It's because of him, the Bible tells us, that we have become more than conquerors. We have become joint heirs. We will inherit it all. So blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. It doesn't say you might. It says you shall. That's a promise. It's a filling that you'll never want again. It's a filling that you'll never suffer again. It's a filling. Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. Again, I must state that the Bible says that heaven is a place where there is no weeping. What do we find in heaven? We find joy. We find joy. We find joy. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no hurt. There's no regret. There's no wishful thinking of what could have been, what should have been, and what might have been. We'll be laughing. We will be satisfied. So, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because God, He is better. Amen? Blessed are you who are hated. Excluded, reviled, rejected, and talked about now. For later you will rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is in heaven. So what does that say to me? It says no more bad shoulders, no more arthritis. Right? Some of us it may be no more cancer. Right? No more blindness. We are healed in an instant. We will have new bodies that are made to leap 
and leap for joy. We will have new bodies that will leap and rejoice because they are built to last forever, to never grow old, to never degrade. All because of the work of the Son of Man. I'm here to tell you that all of these benefits await us if we are Jesus followers. If we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, these are the benefits. This is our 401k package. Amen? That's actually our, I think it's our John 316 package. Amen? Because no matter how much we are poor like Jesus, no matter how much we hunger like Jesus, no matter how much we leap, weep like Jesus or are hated like Jesus, I'm here to tell you that we can never completely be like Jesus. Why is that, you ask? It's because Jesus was no ordinary man. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. It was Jesus, Mary's baby. He was Jesus, born in Bethlehem. It's Jesus who walked the dusty streets of Palestine. It was Jesus who lived the perfect and sinless life. It was Jesus who was falsely accused. It was Jesus who was beaten for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Do you know my Jesus? He was rejected and spit upon. It was Jesus who carried that cross up Calvary's hill. It was Jesus who had the nails driven in his hands and his feet. It was Jesus who had the crown of thorns on his head, who had the spear into his side. It was Jesus who hung his head, and then he died. Didn't he die? It was Jesus who was buried in a borrowed tomb. It was Jesus who laid in the grave on Saturday. And it was Jesus who early on Sunday morning, early on Sunday morning, that the Father raised from the dead with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. It was Jesus that if you just confess and believe, he'll be with you now so that you could be with him later. And that, my friends, is exactly how you can experience earthly living with a kingdom focus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.